There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Real Lives Untold podcast with myself, Trina O'Connor. And myself, Sarah O'Connor. We are focusing on all things crime and human interest. We're creating a space for people to tell their stories, the raw, unedited version. Mothers will ask the guards to come in and intervene at an early stage to protect their children, Mm. if they know them and if they can trust the police. What we're doing at the moment now, like most other police services, we're waiting until they're firing shots at each other, and it's too late. This week we're joined by former Assistant Commissioner Dr Pat Leahy who was shortlisted for the top job as Commissioner back in 2018. He has described the toughest time during his 38 years in the force as those few weeks around the Regency Hotel shootings in February 2016 in Dublin which triggered the rapid escalation of the deadly Kinahan Hutch feud here. He's passionate about community policing, completed his doctorate in community orientation and is adamant it is the only way forward. He joined the force in the early 80s and within a few years he was part of the Tango unit set up to pursue Martin Cahill or the General. He also served overseas with the United Nations, was chief in Store Street in Dublin until 2017 and was assistant commissioner for the Dublin Metropolitan Region until his retirement in 2020. Pat Leahy, thanks a million for joining us and coming on. Lives Untold this evening. You're very good. For Thank making you very the time. much. I know that you're up and down every week from Cork on a daily basis. I don't know how you do it. Um, and everyone will know your voice and everyone will probably know your face as well because you really were kind of synonymous with um, your involvement and your central involvement with the Kinnan Hutch feud, really, weren't you? But yeah, you've got I was indeed. an incredible CV and you're 38 years in the force. So there, there's so many more cases that you were involved in. But in the words of Tommy Tiernan, most importantly and more importantly, you're from Cork. <laughs> <laughs> and people will know that, of course. So tell us, we'll start there, if you don't mind. Where are you from in Cork? And tell us a little bit about how what drove you into the Ungar the Shikana. Well, uh, it's, a, it's an awful thing to say. My mother drove me into it. I never applied for it, guys. I never even considered being a guard. It wasn't on the radar at all for me. And uh, I came home from a concert one weekend, uh, a Sunday evening, and I got up uh, to the house and my mother said, you have to go back to Dublin. You have an interview for the guards in the morning. <laughs> wow. Uh, this is the uh, truth of it. She says, enough of your gallivanting now. <laughs> yeah, We're getting you into the guards. I had to get the mail train oh, up wow. to Dublin for an interview in Dublin that morning. And it had been a shocking weekend. <laughs> In terms right. of like, you know, I've been away ah. with the lads and, 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 and a, a couple of friends and we had a great weekend at a concert and this just came as a surprise. So I yeah. said, I'll go up to myself. I said, I'll go up and I'll do the interview and uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, as you know, now it worked out for yeah. the interview. Yeah. So they told me I was going to Templemore 
So I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be a guard. No, I didn't dislike the guards. I didn't like it. I had just never thought about it. Yeah. But I didn't want to leave my mother and father down. Mm, so I said, yeah. I'll go down. I'll do the six months. I'll pass it. And then I'll resign. Yeah. Just to show them I could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that is not something I want to do. Right. right. But and every- why do you think you didn't want to do it? Oh, no reason, Sarah. I just had never considered it. I didn't know any guards. Yeah. I had never that? had an interaction an interaction with the guards neither positive nor negative so there was no dynasty in. there no dynasty there no one had ever been there before so it wasn't a conversation that we'd ever had in the family yeah and I come from a big family I mean I have three brothers and four sisters yeah and uh, it was never a conversation that took place yeah and no uh, no connections with it at all and when, and when you went to Templemore I mean, it's quite an experience when you speak about people. They talk about this kind of camaraderie that comes and you become almost like a family. Was that your experience? Is that, did you fall in love with it at that time or did it take some time? Uh, ab- absolutely, Trina. Um, I had joined the FCA when I was 15 mm-hmm. and I had gotten my oversized uniform, as everybody did, because <laughs> you were supposed to be 18 when you were joining it. Uh, but we all joined up just because it was an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So I got used to the actual militaristic style of it and the marching and the uniform piece, which I enjoyed quite quite, uh, quite a lot. And I actually went full-time into the FCA, which was the same as joining the, the Permanent Defence Forces. Uh, and I loved that as well. So I had to give that up to go to Templemore. Right. But all of that militaristic element in Templemore really suited me. Mm. I know I was very comfortable with it where other, others had a, a very steep learning curve with this. I fitted into it, you know. So so then you went to Templemore and then you graduated. So where did you go to then? I went west of the Shannon when I graduated from Templemore. We only did six months at that time. Everything was done and dusted and then you went out. Right. So I went down to Ennis and I Lovely. thought this was the end of the world for me. Right. And I can remember going in and uh, everybody, there was about six or seven of us arriving in Ennis that day. And the chief superintendent met us. I'd never met a chief superintendent before. So I was maybe second or third into his office to meet him. And I finished up and I haven't had a chat with him. And he had told me that I wasn't staying in Ennis. I was going out to Killaloo, which oh. was worse again for me. Now, I, I didn't know either place. Yeah. I wasn't familiar with them. But I knew I wanted to be in Dublin. Yeah. Right. You well, know, you that's were the only man. place I wanted to go yeah. to. So I went down the stairs and I was downstairs and said, oh, I'm going to give this up. I'm not, I'm not staying here. I just yeah. can't. So... Uh, one of the older guys said, why don't you go back up and knock on the chief's door? He says, and see how far you get with him. You'd never know. So I went back up, cheeky out, knocked on the chief's door and said, chief, I can't stay here. You know, I'm getting married. <laughs> I, I don't tell a whole lot of people. No, I'm telling the whole world, of course. <laughs> I said, I'm getting married. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> my, my girlfriend is working in Dublin. You know? Right. And uh, so he said, I okay, love the look, commitment. We'll, we'll, yeah. uh, we'll work something out. Right. So I ended up uh, staying in Ennis for a year. And then in fairness to the chief, he organised a swap and I ended up going up to Donnybrook in Dublin. Right. You know what, I have the fondest of memories of, of that place, mm-hmm. absolutely. And the people that I met there became long or lifelong friends. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and what went, year was that, Pat? That was in 1983. Right. I, I went into Templemore in 1982 and I was in Donnybrook in 1983. So, so we would have had the heroin epidemic then, but it wouldn't really have stretched as far as Donnybrook at that time. It was still in the north side, Well, really, Ballymone, inner city, all that. And what the we found, Trina, was we were getting all the burglars the, yeah, that they were, were trying coming to keep over, the habit yeah. going. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so all the break, and, and Donnybrook was a real hit for yeah, them. Like, and that's where yeah, the money was, all the flats as well. Uh, so it was one of the biggest uh, crime elements we had in Donnybrook mm. was burglary. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where we met a lot of the people that were, were strung out on heroin, like, yeah, you know, yeah. leading horrendous lives. Yeah, you know? it, it was but, a terrible time. But you got it? to know them. 
Mm. And you got to know them and their families, mm. you know. So you ended up actually striking up a relationship with them. You knew them by name. They knew you yeah. by name. And when you came across them in situations where, you know, they were on site or they were, you know, at, at the scene of a house where a burglary was taking place, they'd say, "Ah, oh, look, lads, you have me. That's it." Mm. There was never a fight. There An was aggression? Never, no, no, not. No. And their mothers were ringing you up saying, "Look, and I know you're Johnny in there, like you know, mm. but uh, you know the other fellow's here as well, and he's up in bed. If you want to come and get him, because I'm afraid for yeah. him." They'd be telling, ringing you saying. You know, his brother Michael is upstairs, like, and you know, he's strung out as well, but there's somebody looking for him, there's somebody mm. after him. Would you arrest See, him and bring him yeah, in for a while? devastating community, yeah, sitting absolutely apart. Absolutely. And, and you're yeah. always aware, and uh, throughout the time that I've known you, you were always really someone, an advocate of community policing and building relationships at a mm. grassroots level with people. So it started there at the very beginning of your career. Uh, absolutely. Look, Sarah, community policing for me, it's, 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 the centrepiece for me in policing. Mm-hmm. It is the way forward, but it's not easy. And it's not a strategy. It's a philosophy. Mm-hmm. And people don't get that. You have to decide if we're going to go after community policing, everything has to change. It's yeah. not about the identifying teams or individuals or everything. No, no. The whole philosophy of how we police has to change. So it's a big shift. And police uh, services, police forces, generally speaking, don't do that. You know, they tinker around the edges uh, with it. Now, this is not, and they not, don't have the resources. Well, that you know really is you, they yeah. actually do have the resources. Right. It's how it's they're deployed, correct. isn't it? It's how you actually train your resources, you know, what you want them to do. It's a real preventative approach yeah. to policing. But police services worldwide now have gone into response mode. Yeah. You know, yeah. command and control, response mode. And you're never going to get anywhere with yep. that. You're always going to be cat playing catch up with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you can get into it, now it takes a while. It takes a number of years to actually embed a proper community orientation. But the rewards are substantial, yeah. and they change the nature of the game in policing. And we just haven't grasped it. I suppose uh, leaders in policing have been slow to embrace it because uh, it's not sexy policing. No. It doesn't follow crime figures. So crime up, crime down is not the catalyst for change. Yeah. You know, it's about how much people feel that they're safe where they live, that they have a connection with the police, that they have a relationship with the police or a police person, mm-hmm. you know, that they're being treated equally unfairly. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is the reality uh, of it. But it's all about relationships. And we were so close to that here uh, in Ireland. We were. I, I can remember... That's when uh, we mm-hmm. got into the, the cycle of closing stations mm. and I think it was one of the biggest mistakes that we have made in policing uh, in Ireland. We had it in our grasp. We had, we were the envy of policing internationally and these one person stations, like, and I can remember one of the, the uh, rationales for um, uh, closing them was, well, there's no crime there. And I mean, the answer to that is, duh. Mm. Yeah. That's because they have their own police mm. person there. What are they doing? They right? know everybody. Mm. There's such a preventative orientation in that mm. where your your local person is coming up to, 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 to Pat or John or Michael in the local station. They're the only person there and they're saying, listen, I'm worried about my fella. And he's hanging around with the wrong cloud. Does the fella have to turn it up now? And I'm not sure about him. Will you have a look at that? Mm-hmm. And they were stuck in everything. Specialisation mm. has had a huge negative impact on policing because it's all coming from the same poi. Yeah. You know, but you're you're reducing people to a single or maybe two or three specialties, you know, right. and the rest of it they don't engage in. You're dumbing down the person on the front line who has to engage with the community, has to do all the prevent, has to understand people's circumstances, has to accept, has to use their discretion. There's a huge element of that. And instead of 
upskilling them and saying, look, we're going to upskill you to deal with domestic violence. I mean, that, that really was not a, a steep learning curve for anybody. It was just a change of mindset and a, 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 bit, of, a bit of training. Mm-hmm. But we specialised it. And our specialists couldn't deal with the volume of domestic violence that was taking place. So we created a problem for ourselves, like, you know, but this thing of we're not going to upscale the ordinary person in the beat to deal with these and do, uh, operate from a preventative perspective. Yeah. And I say that because if you're embedded in communities, you know what's happening in number 16 and you know what's happening in number 14. And people will tell you because they want to protect their kids. Yeah. And yeah. if they believe, if you're authentic mm-hmm. in your engagement with people in communities, they'll tell you almost everything. Yeah. You know, but if you go in looking for in, intelligence, mm. they'll cop onto that very, very quickly, and you've lost the, the team at that yeah. stage. Oh, they won't engage with you. So it's that building you, of relationships. Sorry, Sarah. Yeah. I, I think I, I just I've always been interested in when you look at other jurisdictions that have dealt with this, which have used multidisciplinary teams in collaboration with the police force it's something that always kind of makes me wonder why do we not do that here why do we not have for example if there's going to be a raid on a house and there's going to be children there why are we not doing a risk assessment to make sure that there's psychological service there so that the young person that witnesses the raid doesn't immediately have this uh, relationship built with the guards as being the big scary monster who took their parents because that's what a child is going yeah. to see mm. that we need yeah. to have social workers there like the violence reduction unit in Scotland put huge money into dealing with that by creating multidisciplinary teams do you think that's some that model could work here we, we've done that Trina on a small scale if you remember the better city for all yeah uh, strategy that was based on that. Mm. I mean, there was multidisciplinary teams working in the city centre yeah. uh, in Dublin. You had uh, the treatment centres were, were on board. You had the HSE were on board. The guards were on board. The local authority were on board. Mm. And they were going out. They were proactively engaging with people that were uh, living rough, people that were on drugs, yeah. you know, but not with a view to, you know, penalising them. I mean, they were facilitating their access to treatment. Exactly. And in a lot of cases, they were saying, OK, uh, you're afraid to engage with us because you have warrants. If you have yeah. warrants, tell us what they are. Mm. We'll make an arrangement to meet. We'll talk to the judge. We'll tell the judge, look, this person is looking uh, for treatment. We know that it's not going to be a, a straight road for them, but they're not bad people. Let's get them in. Let's help them as much as we can. We have a support service here. We'll have several support services. That worked. That mm. worked at the time for everybody. It created a very different dynamic with the people in the city centre. So we've been down that road. But again, you have to invest in it. There has to be a mindset. The philosophy has to change. Yeah. I know that there yeah. are other ways to... I know what you're talking about. Mm. I've been in many of those homes mm. at seven o'clock or six o'clock mm. uh, in the morning and there's kids in there that may not have slept on... I may have slept on the couch. There's foreign bodies lying around yeah. in some of the places we were into, like, you know, yeah. full of drink or full of drugs or whatever. And you're saying, oh my God, what chance does mm. this poor unfortunate have? Mm. There's kids, other kids getting ready to go to school. You're saying, mm. I, I can't imagine this happening in my home yeah. when I was being brought up. Yeah. It, it's just, mm. it's so sad. You're problem solving all the time. And some of the problems that you're trying to solve are unsolvable yeah. on your own. You yeah. know, you're trying to get teams and you're trying to get support in. So you're all the time struggling to apply a fix to somebody, something that's better than a sticky plaster. Mm. You know, so it's not easy. So you have to invest 
uh, financially in it. You have to invest resources in it to make it happen. You have to give people ownership, accountability and responsibility for defined areas and a defined section of the community and you have to leave them there for a while. If you're going to be taking them out for other jobs, then they're just going to say, look, I, I either I am or I'm not, yeah. you know, yeah. the, the, the responsible person for around here because... It's very yeah, tricky. Yeah. Take them it's, out of circulation. So. It's, it's very tricky, isn't it, Pat? And, yeah. and And in your career, like, you've... Like we were chatting earlier, weren't we, Sarah? And we were saying like about Pat's career, like you know, like what you have done. Yeah. And what people won't know about you, Pat, and mm. we'll move on from community policing because mm. we actually could do six seasons or six episodes <laughs> yeah. with you, yeah. I think, and and your career. But we'll move on to you worked and investigated the general, yeah, uh, as part of the T squad. Tell us about that and and your role in that and how it started and, and what and he who was the like. General was because you know? some people won't know who the general was. Well, I suppose he was number one on the list in Tang- Ireland Tango, at the time. He? Tango, Tango one actually was, yeah. was was the call sign that he, that he was given. But look, uh, he was the most wanted person in Ireland uh, at the time, and uh, he'd been involved in some very high profile crimes uh, himself and his group. And uh, the guards had gotten to the point where there was intimidation of the guards going on and guards' families at the time and they decided something had to be done here. There were some really high-profile mm. uh, um, robberies had taken place yeah. at the time. And uh, they decided to put together a squad of young, don't know, uh, energetic detectives across the city. And were you one of yeah. them? I was one of them. And, <laughs> and uh, where were you based at that stage? I was based in Donnybrook. Okay. And uh, myself and my long a standing friend who I'm going to visit this weekend actually uh, we were brought in uh, we were partners in Donnybrook at the time in plain clothes so like mm-hmm. Bodie and Dial absolutely and <laughs> there was about I think there was about 95 in total were brought in for the first meeting and we were addressed by the senior officers and we were told you know what was required and we were told that you know some of you could get hurt there or whatever mm. and like you know they're not going to take this line yeah. down blah 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 like so they on. were very dangerous his crew they were yeah, yeah. they, and they were ace at the time want, yeah, yeah and something people's perception of him might be different though and mm. he was kind of glamorised to an extent at the uh, time and they well, might have thought he was a bit of a rogue but he was really really vicious uh, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean look that's part and parcel of criminality mm. uh, but look because he was um he was gregarious at times yeah. and some of the stunts that he pulled like yeah. inside in the courts and that like with the Mickey Mouse underpants yeah. and so on. He, dro- he dropped his trousers. People wouldn't uh, know like he dropped his trousers yeah. in the court That's right. and he had Mickey Mouse underpants and then yeah. Yeah. He, he, I think he wore Mickey Mouse over his head or he wore t-shirts and that's right. Yeah, yeah, and he, like, he was, yeah. Always with the hand over his face. Like, But yeah. He, yeah. he actually engaged with the media mm. at times, like, you know, coming and going from the courts. Like, when it suited him, he courted Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I, I suppose people painted him up as a, a kind of a Robin Hood mm. type figure. Mm. But I mean, That's this, what I mean. Absolutely. But I mean, these is coming out after stories of him nailing people to tables yeah. and floors yes. and whatever. Yes. Like, yes. You know, yes. and people were afraid of him, like, and that was it. But other stuff, people don't know, he didn't drink. Mm. You know, he, he didn't go to the pub, like, you know, he was either at home or he was out and about scouting, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm. But he was, you know, the number one criminal in Ireland uh, at the time. So this squad was put in to sit on 24-7, him and every one of his gang, you know. Wow. So it was Was that around on. the time of Rusborough? Was that before Rusborough? Was that before after that jewellery heist? That was after That it. was after yeah. it. And it was 24-7. Well, you know, Rusborough was the paintings, and then yes. the jewellery heist was O'Connell's. O'Connell's jewels, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they Which were two huge. of 
his huge crimes. Uh, exactly. And exactly. um, so he robbed paintings and he buried them. Am I right? Did he bury them or he tried well, to sell them to the IRA? Uh, uh, correct. There's a there's a couple of elements to yeah. it. Yes, it, it wasn't actually. I think it was the unionists that he tried to sell it to. Right. If if, mm. if my memory serves me correctly, and there was a an attempt up the mountains to offload them, and we had a. Um, uh, an agent in from abroad assisting the guards as a buyer wow. at one stage, like and also it was real, you know, TV stuff. Yeah, you know, but I mean, this is well publicised at this stage now, yeah, and there was a handover to take place up in the Dublin mountains, but then the actual network, the radio network, went down, and oh. there was a couple of elements that just didn't work out. And were you on that case at that yeah, time? Yes, we were. We were all involved in it, but we were all back. We'd say you'd have maybe two or three lines. All the surveillance people would have been in uh, up front. Yeah. none of us would have been there. We would yeah. have been there at the end of it, like you know when something was happening mm-hmm. we all then would have, would have and would when have that in. technology let you down Pat oh my god you must have been devastated well you see we wouldn't have known it we'd have been on a different network you see right. uh, surveillance have their own network mm. so they have all the up close and personal stuff like yeah. you know and they don't yeah. want anybody else listening yeah, and rightly so yeah. you know uh, we would have been called in if something was happening, if mm. something was about to exchange, or you know, somebody was up, or up, is on the run, or a, whatever, a, a threat to yeah, life. We would stuff, have had yeah. cars all around the place, like you know, but uh, it didn't work out, so we wouldn't have known that that was happening. Mm. We would have been waiting for the call that never came, mm. so right. to speak, like you know. So mm. any afterwards, I said, well, what's the story? Well, the comms went down, Ouch. you know, up in the Dublin mountains, and mm. right, you know, often wonder. Did he know that that was going to be the you case would, himself in advance? You, you like, would you know, wonder because he was very canny, wasn't yeah, he? He, he? Yeah, he was clever. Uh, for sure, but maybe we're just giving him a bit too much. But that's what happened in that o- occasion. Mm. Um, but, but it kind of backfired on him in the end because it wasn't it, he couldn't sell them, wasn't that it? No, no. I mean, you could There's never no offload way. them. Nobody yeah. was ever going to own them. Nobody mm. was ever going to be able to hang them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were too hot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you know, on some of the roads that he went down to offload them and sell them, that some would say that that led that to his, led his demise. demise. Absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. so then he got involved with John Trainer, yeah. or he was involved with him in terms of then was investing. He the, was he the penguin, the coach, the coach, the late John Trainer? And yeah. so he he got involved with with the coach, and then he invested, so to speak, or tried to extort money from the Gilligan gang. Wasn't that it, or the factory gang at the time when they were trying to build their empire? And and a, a lot of that is is out there mm. and has been moved, yeah. but, but I don't think there's a whole lot of evidence to to, to say right. absolutely this happened. Right. But mm. uh, but I mean that was the nature of, of the way he did business. Like you, you always knew there was always talk, there was always mm-hmm. innuendo. Mm-hmm. But in terms of actual evidence you know, yeah. to to link him to X and Y. Now we got we link him to his uh, his gang mm. because yeah. they were in and out regularly on the you know? periphery, maybe. And yeah. we were sitting out the front and out the back, up yeah. trees and everything. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Like, wow, uh, what, what went on? And um, but but the, in the, terms of the motive for his death, there were a number of, uh, of different people, maybe in that. Ab- absolutely. And, and no, we don't know for sure who who caused his death. Uh, well. We, we don't know for sure. Yeah. Will you tell us what, were you there? Were you around? No, no, I wasn't there. Actually, it, it, the yeah, T-Squad was finished at that point okay. in, in time. And uh, I can remember where I was, I won't name it. But I was in a pub uh, in Cork at the time uh, with, a, with a friend of mine. And it came up on the news and all of a sudden, of course, everybody knew me. Uh, yeah, yeah. At the time. yeah. Tango was, oh, one is did down. You hear, like, you know, mm. here, like, you know, yeah. it was just big news. Yeah. yeah, it was big news, like, you know. But um, look, there was there was no other outcome really, was there? Mm. But there so was never an outcome other than that for people. Well, when you get involved in game, yeah, you when you get involved that, in criminality yeah. like that, I mean, there's there's a couple of ways you're going to go. You're going to be in prison, or you're going yeah. to be killed. Mm-hmm. And he was indeed. 
he was shot in his car, wasn't yeah. he? And uh, I just remember that yeah. footage yeah, yeah. even. Yeah. It's very yeah. distinct, isn't it? Yeah, just, absolutely. I think it was a red car, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then I suppose his demise, and of course the IRA claimed it, and then John Gilligan is still saying that he, that you know, they're still coming after him, but he had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, mm. And then in terms of his demise, that paved the way then for, for Gilligan's gang and their... Uh, drug trafficking, well, didn't it? it I know it, maybe that's too basic. Well, but. It's, it's too linear. I would suggest because it always creates a vacuum. Yeah, you yeah. know, and we, we we saw that even more recently uh, with the with the Hodgkinahan feud. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. once they had left the country, and that it created a vacuum yeah. here, and we know and all that these gangs out. popped mm-hmm. up, and, and that became very, very violent. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, so look, these always create a vacuum. Yeah. So when Martin was gone, you see, a lot of his gang were uh, incarcerated at that stage as yeah. well. Anyway. So there was very few left to protect mm-hmm. the what what had been there. The empire. Yeah, correct. Are to keep going as a credible mm. outfit. Yeah. You know, mm. and somebody's going to step in. That's why you can never for policing, you can never make it personal. It doesn't matter no. what the name is or who they are. Yeah. There's always going to be somebody else. Yeah. And mm. as soon as they're gone, somebody else mm. is going to step into that space. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so people would often ask, and then maybe you're going to get around to this. Like, you know, when uh, when Jerry Hutch uh, walked out of the trial there recently, yeah, people were saying to me, are you disappointed? And I said, no, of course I'm not disappointed. I can't afford to be disappointed. The police cannot afford to be disappointed. You yeah. collect the evidence, you present the evidence, you know, the very best you can. Somebody else determines, you know, what happens after that and you have to accept it. Yeah. That's the system. Ha- and we we'll talk about that, absolutely. Yeah, That's yeah. a good segue into that yeah, and your time so in, Store, in Store Street. Yeah. So when you were in Store Street, it was part of, it was the time when the Regency shooting happened and a lot of people will know about that shooting. So can you tell us about what you can remember at the time? Where were you when you got the call? Well, I, I can remember the the first shooting in Spain. In Spain, yeah, yeah. Gar- Gary was it? Yeah, yeah. and uh, I can September I can, wasn't it twenty fifteen or something? Uh, yeah, it, it was twenty fifteen. Yeah, and I can remember having a management meeting shortly afterwards and uh, raising it as an issue at it uh, with, with the, the supers in the north and the city and saying. I remember having the discussion with them that this isn't going to end here. Yeah, you know we're going to feel mm. the brunt that is something is going to happen. And there was graffiti, I remember, at the time that mm. a lot of the media focused on. Yeah. Didn't they? Yeah. Mm. Or was that just before he was murdered? No, I think it was probably afterwards, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you see, there was a deal brokered. Yeah. And yeah. That yeah. Was broken. Were, yeah. Correct. Yeah. That was the negotiations yeah. between them. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm. sorry, Pat. And look, and, and you'll never know what happened or what was agreed in those meetings because mm. there's only ever going to be a handful of people at them. Yeah. Mm. So a lot of it is conjecture or... You know, maybe this was it, and yeah. the, the maybe becomes this was it, and whatever. Yeah. So, but we 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 believe something. But because happened. of your, some outcome was achieved before yeah. he was killed. Yeah, but yeah. because of your experience and your at that stage, you probably had about three decades in the guards. Would it have been around? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you knew that this was going to be a problem, and you spoke to all of the supers in that area. And was a plan hatched up how you were going to deal with it proactively, or what happened? Well, you see, it it was very difficult. To put a plan in place at that stage, all you could do was put people on notice in the streets. You know, at that stage, we had the community policing model yeah. up and running, as you described yeah. er- earlier on. In actual fact, in 2015, we had been awarded European Best Practice oh, in Community Policing. Wow. And mm. within a year, the irony of it. we mm. had the feud hit us yeah. You know, yeah. full on. 
And when the Regency took place, I can remember having a meeting uh, with my senior officer and saying, look, you know, this is going to happen, this is going to blow up uh, right away, but nobody expected it to happen no. as quickly as it. Within days, no. you know, Eddie Hutch had, yeah. been, had been murdered. So you and had it just Gary Hutch on. Fit this September, just to go back, and then you had, there was a, a, that failed hit on, on the monk yeah. over in Lanzarote, yeah. so he was obviously on high yeah. alert. And then soon after, it was obviously, it was February 5th, yeah. was, was the Regency. Yeah. But that's, should the guards, I mean, I know that John O'Driscoll, former assistant commissioner, he did say the guards dropped the ball on that one, on, on not being on high alert in relation to the Regency and the boxing weigh-in. Would you, what would well, you say about if, that? Well, if you consider what had taken place for the years before that, I mean, 2008 was when the economy crashed mm-hmm. and it stayed there, like you know, it was. I can remember giving presentations uh, on it, and it was like going over the edge of a cliff when you yeah. look at the Irish economy uh, at the time. And uh, we were down maybe twenty five percent in terms of numbers. Like there was huge changes had taken place in policing. There was huge cuts in overtime. You know, yeah. and and we were. I can remember having a meeting with again with my senior officers and saying, "Okay, guys, uh, we don't have the numbers." You know, to do what we want to do, but we need to keep visibility out there. I can remember saying, okay, consider you've only got 20 guards, no more. You have 20 guards, mm-hmm. where can we put them that we'll get the best bang for our buck in yeah. terms of visibility? Pick the streets. And I said, pick the streets now because mm-hmm. every time I walk, I want to see them on the corner. Mm-hmm. And that's it. We've only got 20 each now. Mm-hmm. And I can remember putting it out loud. That was the environment that was around when uh, this, when the Regency happened. Like we still yeah. hadn't come out of this, you know. Yeah. We were only beginning to, to see the, the, the green shoots in 2014 and 2015. Yeah. But the investment hadn't been there. Like, you know, so what you were doing was you were prioritising stuff. Yeah. Now, but there was no went, intelligence to say something was going to happen at that boxing weigh-in because the dogs in the street knew it was a dangerous place to be. People in the communities where I work were like, you'd be running, you'd be staying 100 miles away from any of them boxing events. So there was a lot of talk within communities about it being dangerous. Did the guards not have any intelligence? Well, I, I can't say whether they had or they hadn't, Trina, because, look, it wasn't in my division, so mm. we wouldn't have been party yeah. to that intelligence anyway. Yeah. It's whatever division it was in, if, if there was intelligence there, that's where they would have gone first and they would have put a policing plan in place. Like if it was in the north inner city, I would have gotten the call to yeah. say there's intelligence or yeah. no, there's not. And you'd put a policing mm. plan uh, in place for it. So I don't know what was there or what wasn't, but it doesn't appear. Yeah, that, that But no was. one could have predicted, my God. No, no. And were we prepared for it? We weren't prepared for it. And we weren't prepared for what came afterwards. But no. when you look back, you'll see... We were probably at our lowest ebb in two decades yeah. at that particular time. Yeah. You know, yeah. in terms of what had taken place to the public sector as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so like you were just running just to stand still. Yeah. yeah. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. At all. So and, what was uh, your reaction when that happened in the Regency? And then three days later, it, w- it was Eddie Hutch. Oh, and and everything, everything changed. I mean, everything changed after the Regency. We were, we were in the process of putting a proper plan together. We were identifying our, our Tier 1, Tier 2 and Tier, tier 3 targets yeah. associated with, with the people uh, that were there. Uh, and uh, within days, Eddie yeah. Hutch uh, was yeah. murdered. And we just had to uh, step it up into a, a whole new gear again. And one of the things that, that happened, uh, I mean, a lot of them hadn't been active in yeah. the north inner city for a long time. So those connections that were there historically weren't there. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't have known as an individual, I wouldn't have known them because I hadn't served in there up to this point. Yeah. You know, so the history of I had to go looking for older guards to say, you need to come down here and give us the family three mm-hmm. here. And like, you know, because yeah. a lot of them are gone. Who's, yeah, and Correct. who's still around and who's yeah. the target. Yeah. Who's who? Mm. You know, because they were operating outside of our, our domain. Yeah. That was the reality of mm. it. So a lot of the older guards knew who was who in terms of it. So we had to sit down and get back into restructuring mm-hmm. who they were, who were tier one, tier two, like target, target wise. Uh, and you know, everybody knows now we had to pick some locations and we had to put 24 hour uh, uniformed cars parked on the street as yeah. opposed to outside the door. Yeah. But it was just a signal to people like, you know, well, if you come here, you're going to have to run afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and we're going to be on top of you right away. Mm-hmm. And that was it, it wasn't to protect an individual per se. It was to protect the community in that area, that there would not be gunplay there. Yeah. And the reason that we had to do that was because these people weren't living around the corner from each other. They yeah. went to school with each other. They, yeah. And they were neighbours. Their families were yeah. going to the same schools. They were dropping off kids. Like, yeah. you know, literally, yeah. they were living 100, 150 metres away from each other. Even, like, yeah. And like, you, you know. worked in the area, yeah. but I remember going into the area as a journalist and going to the funerals. And yeah. mm. like, it was it was pretty terrifying place to be now. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it was. And if you can imagine uh, at the time, I mean, we had just come out, as I say, uh, 2015, we were... Uh, top of, of the pile in yeah. Europe for community policing mm-hmm. in there right and all of a sudden we have checkpoints there with guards in military style uniform and yeah. helmets like and you know, guns. with, with yeah. guns long barreled weapons as they refer to like rifles yeah. inside very close to the schools yeah, I can remember having conversations with the um the, the headmasters and the headmistresses in the schools like, and they're saying like, well, could you not do your checkpoint somewhere else and I'd say look I'm sorry Mary I'm sorry John whatever but they're delivering they're dropping their kids off here and, and they're collecting they're their kids absolutely and, and, and do you remember even there was a one, of, one of their funerals and I think it was was it Mango Gately was shot while the 
wake was going on even though the guards were in the air. No, it was, was Derek Hutch. Was I remember it, it was Jason Molyneux was shot dead yeah. after he had attended Derek Hutch's I knew there was wake. Some, and yeah. Derek Hutch was uh, Jerry Hutch's nephew who was yeah. shot out in out Wheatfield, wasn't yeah, that it? That's yeah. exactly but that it. was unbelievable and, and there was the an horn just the down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Like you really couldn't difficult. be everywhere. Well, and yeah. like it was all you, you couldn't but they were doing constant surveillance yeah. in there. We had come yeah. across, we were doing thousands of checkpoints. Mm. I think uh, before I left, I think we had done about 44,000 checkpoints in that small area yeah. over that over that period of yeah. time. Uh, we had caught them doing surveillance in the backs of vans and cars yeah. and in dressed car up parks, and all sorts of stuff yeah. like, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, there could have been a lot more, but there were still too many. Yeah, I mean, we're course. still looking back on eighteen murders, like you know, yeah, okay. uh, eighteen murders. But with this, those like murders, you know, came thick and fast, they didn't did, they? Yeah. After, well, after we had the four and four months, yeah, in, yeah that's right. in the north mm-hmm. inner city. Well, know. I was walking in Buckingham Street, so I was doing a lot of work with Star Street at the time, and they were just phenomenal. I mean, the guards that I worked with there, like, you just couldn't say enough good things about no, them. No. They did such a great job. On very limited resources, I'm like you say, they were amazing. Yeah, um, and oh. they, they did a lot of kind of community relationship building. Yeah, well, you even see, we, in we that had crisis. that built Trina yeah. at the time. It was amazing. And I, 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 for lots of reasons, that was so uh, good for us because mm. the public representatives had been part and parcel of the community uh, yeah. policing the building framework. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They had been interviewed by uh, the, the the European uh, Committee. That assesses this, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. They had made themselves available to be interviewed, exclusive of the guards, like and you know. all. So they yeah. were all part of it, and they were all able to take a bow when we were awarded it in the end. But we we had a communications uh, system up and going. We made contact with them every morning. All of our public reps say, like and you know, all, here's what has happened. I'm like, you know, have you anything you wanted yeah. to address today? That was open to the, to, to every person in a week. It was. It was brilliant. Fifteen and a half thousand homes, I think we called to ended a survey with them asking, wow. like, "What do you want from us? What do you expect mm-hmm. from us?" Like, here's our number. Here's the and actual people contact don't know number. That. People but don't yeah, know people that. don't know they that. Don't. You're right, Sarah. And, and that, credit that where credit yeah. is due. You but know? I, I only say it because when we were under extreme pressure, yeah. when the, the feud crisis. hit, they didn't let us down. Yeah, the, our, our local reps weren't calling for it. Like they were, they were. We were having meetings with them. They were saying, "Look, you know, what can you do? Like, you know, what, what's next, guys? What's it was the plan? real collaborative, but it that was because the groundwork was done. That's it. If we and had the relationships, had the relationships yeah, then they would have all been going out, giving mm. some bites, and we'd have been under yeah. pressure from another area, another like, where angle, we didn't yeah. need it. Yeah. Mm. But they supported us all the way because they knew we were committed. Mm. But there was other elements of, of that. What you saw there was. You know, people pushing the boat out, going the extra yard. You had the goodwill and they were exhausted. Yeah. And they were putting themselves in harm's way because this was a free for all. They were out to get them all. Yeah. And that was it. That was it. Like, you know, so every time we were sending people out, we knew we were sending them out and putting them in in, in danger. Yeah. Even even community leaders, Pat, like I'm a community activist. My, My family were not happy at all about me being in that area because... Veronica Gearwin would have been a family friend of ours, so my parents would always kind of remember poor Veronica. And, what, and they were like, this is too dangerous, Trini, you yeah. know, because I was involved in the community policing forum, all of the different organisations that were working in the community. It was, I felt scared at times. But, mm. but it, you but just didn't know who they were going I, to go yeah, I, I was, many times well, I was trying, yeah, definitely, I was terrified yeah. looking up at buildings. I couldn't believe what was happening. And, and especially at one, I won't mention which funeral, but with one funeral in particular. Oh, yeah. And the journalists, you know, you had to go down there and you your hood up and, mm. you know, 
trying to be, you know, not stand out, but it was it was really scary. Now. And the guards had to stand out to make their presence known. So they were completely they were, yeah, like absolutely. exposing themselves yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. very dangerous situations. But then there was a lot of undercover, obviously, as well. There, there, there was, but they were so frenetic in what they were trying to mm. achieve. You just knew they would expose themselves to kill somebody yeah. in this like you know it, yeah. it, it was wild there for a while uh, but in fairness to the guards young and old the whole vocational aspect of policing came out it did which now has been nearly sucked out of them mm, you yeah. know whereby mm. you're not allowed to do that you're not allowed to use your discretion are you, are you happy about the direction on Garda Shia Khan is going in on a very personal level just my own personal opinion uh, Trina I, I'm not immune to what I see and hear and what's happening in the press at the moment. I'm not immune to what people tell me. What uh, and, and as what I'm hearing is reflecting what is actually playing out in the media itself. I've young guards, what I would consider young guards, that might have another 15 or 20 years that they could actually stay, but they're choosing not to. And you're, I'm hearing a lot more now uh, from people that are saying, like, you know, I can't wait for it. I can't wait to get out. I can't Isn't wait. that and like, sad? You know, well, it's yeah. sad for yeah. so many reasons. For the individual themselves, for the mm. organisation, for and communities. And young guards just leaving. Mm. They're leaving. Well, well th- that's you know? unheard of. Yeah. I mean... and It, and was, a, it was such a job to be proud of yeah. and to be part of and make your life... Like, what has gone wrong, Pat? What well, has happened? look... Um, so much has happened over the last 10 years, we'll mm. say. There's no doubt about it, but we've gotten some seriously negative coverage over mm. the years. like you know. But I, I do think it could have been addressed in a way that uh, would, you know, microsurgery would have done a lot of it. You know, yeah. we didn't need to take the heart out and, and the lungs out and yeah. then reconstruct the, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And that doesn't work in any organisation. A lot of what happens now happens in public. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're put in the, you know, what was it they used to, the stocks yeah. publicly, you know, and all of that chips away at where you're standing in, in, in the community. And at the collective self-esteem of the guards a- a- themselves. Like, you know, I assume, like people should be really proud to be a guard. I mean, the guards do such an important job. But for many they're almost embarrassed by some of the stuff they're hearing. And they don't feel valued. Yes. And they're not willing to put themselves out there. And who can blame them? You know, absolutely. Mm. Like, even the the salaries that they get. Like, you know, when you go into Temple Moor, like, how do they expect somebody to live on that discounted salary? And then the starting salary and no... No allowance for living in Dublin, for example, for rent. Like, do you remember years ago, Pat, we used to have Garda um, housing in Fisborough and the nurses housing in yeah. Fisborough. <laughs> Great crack. Um, like, but that's the kind of thing that we really should be investing in again, well, isn't it's, it? It's, uh, it's, it's out there. People are talking about it. Mm. I'm not sure whether it's a realistic yeah. you it know, uh, option. But there was, an, and, I, and I've, I've referred to it um, uh, earlier on, look, there was a time when guards nurses teachers etc yeah. like the Held public servants like and all they were because they they expect there was no expectation of ever getting rich out of mm, what you were doing yeah. so mm. it had to be something that was coming the from, work needed from the, to give from you the that. heart yeah you know that you felt you were contributing uh, to it and that you were acknowledged for Ex- that exactly like what you yeah. were saying like they they don't feel valued. valued and they well, should in any be organization that's what every employee wants yeah. is yeah, to but, feel valued but, and if they're not remunerated that's okay but if they feel valued they'll continue and I they agree. will work together that and as fed you say, into the vocational mm. nature of what people were doing 
doing. They mm. felt that mm-hmm. they were doing something right yeah. Yeah. for society and they were acknowledged as such. Mm. But society has changed in as much as that when things go wrong, it has to be a public execution. Yeah. You know, and they think, OK, now I'm not for a second suggesting that we don't investigate uh, yeah. wrongdoing, that we don't out wrong and, then we, and that we take it on and we deal with it. Mm. But you don't have to put the organisation and the rest of the individuals in the stocks publicly because yeah. you pay for that afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because mm. you need uh, people that want to operate outside of the, the, the guide rails of society, you know, and inflict pain and suffering on others have to know that. There is a body hmm. that works in this democracy that says, no, we are going to protect everybody else yeah. Yeah. and you're breaking the rules of the game mm. and we are going to enforce the law mm. now yeah. uh, in relation to yeah. And they have to feel that that's there. Mm-hmm. That's been chipped away at all the time. And uh, one part of that that really affects it that people don't understand is if the guards don't feel like they're protected, that they're safe mm. in dealing with the things that happen on the streets, the public disorder, the assaults, etc., that is not pretty. There is no pretty way of dealing with a drunk, drugged up, you know, person on the side of the road at 11 o'clock at night, yeah. you know, who wants to kill everyone who comes. Yeah. The person in the guard uniform doesn't make any difference to them anymore. No. So you have two That's choices. That's one thing that has really changed. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you actually create that, um, I suppose, that environment in a policing context, the police very quickly will say, OK, uh, I have a mortgage. I have kids, mm. I have family, mm. which I have to protect. Now, mm. if I go downtown tonight and some fella down there is cutting up rough like and all, and I go down and I try to arrest him, I'm going to end up trying to keep myself from being badly hurt. Yeah. So it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. It's going to be a violent interaction. Mm. And I'm not saying that the guard's going to go in and knock and lumps out of him, mm. but it is going to escalate in order to protect yourself and protect other people around it's not pretty. There's no pretty way yeah. of dealing with that kind of disorder, that Correct. kind of violence. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. going to look violent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you have the cameras out, yeah. you like, and people are saying, it's oh so yeah, first yeah. thing, let's get them out of circulation. This, it, The culture is so different now that there are videos. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was going to ask, what scenarios have you been in in the past where there weren't videos and, and in terms of that danger? Well, you see, what, what you had was people trusted you yeah. to do the job and when I was just going to explain what would have happened is in a situation like that, you get back to the station, the, uh, whoever you were trying to arrest like would, would, would have a bloody nose or a bloody arm or a bloody hand. And so would you. Mm, yeah. And you're arresting them because you were rolling around the ground with him. Mm, like, you know, and yeah. he's still cutting up in the mm. station. OK. And the skipper would have brought you and said, what happened? Yeah. Tell me where you are. So the skipper was the sergeant and you'd explain to it and they'd say, OK. And then maybe somebody might make a complaint and the skipper say, OK, look, until we get to the bottom of it, look, you, you'll be on the cameras for the next couple of nights yeah. until, we get to, until we get to see some CCTV from downtown or something. Yeah. So they'd watch the CCTV and say, oh, no, Jesus, not at all. You're grand, you're out. Off you go. But not but you now. Wouldn't, you wouldn't be suspended. Pa- no. People are suspended for years. Irrespective of what has happened, if it gets to the point where the courts decide, no, hmm. nothing to see here which we have seen mm. quite a few times in the, in the, in the last 12 yeah. months what do you expect afterwards from that guard yeah. he or she is going to reevaluate mm. their situation and say you will not catch me putting myself into that situation I won't again anything. And, it would be black and white uh, absolutely I, yeah. and yeah. if I don't have to put myself in harm's way I'm not going to do it because I have alternatives mm. and that's it and we have seen this in police services already. We All know over the world. we've seen this coming. Mm. Yeah. That when the guards withdraw for their own safety, 
somebody's going to fill the void. And what mm. fills the void is what we're hearing and what street we're reading justice. about in the street justice. Yeah. And that's it. And for me, and this is only my view of the world, folks, is that everybody has to know that there's only one game in town when it comes to safety and security, and that's the police. And policing, yeah. yeah. And everybody needs to know that's it. So See, looking that's back it. now, Pat, and I know I'm moving it along Sorry, here. go on. Looking back, would you have liked the job of commissioner? Well, mm-hmm. let, let me tell you why I went for it, uh, Sarah. I thought about it long and hard. And uh, as you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not one that shies away from, from, from commenting or considering situ- a situation, whether it be policing as a whole or how something was dealt with and giving my opinion. But you have to earn that opinion. Yeah. And the way I looked at it was, if I don't go for this, then I need to stop with my opinions. I cannot engage... Because the first thing people say, well, did you go for it? Yeah. No, I didn't. Okay, well, then, then you don't have now. a right to You don't have yeah, a right to, complain to comment on it. To critique. Mm. No, no. And I would never complain. But yes, I would critique, critique. it. Because yeah. I, but I would only be critiquing policing yeah. as opposed to an it's individual or whatever. It's, yeah. not, it's, not, it's not personal. It never would be. But uh, I went for it knowing full well that it was going to be a challenge and, and, and dreading the five years that might come if it worked out because I knew it wasn't going to be e- easy. No. You know, but I said, I have to go for it. I have to give it my best shot. Because, un- I suppose, underneath it all, I thought I would be able to contribute to improving policing in Ireland myself. I thought the idea I had was a good idea. But the passion the is fantastic. But when it finishes, it finishes. And that's it. And, and, and you yeah. have to say, OK, look, that's it. You know, but at least you have given yourself the the, the, the right to comment to afterwards, mm-hmm. like, you know, and say, oh, yeah, actually, this is great. It's, mm-hmm. it, it was great. And, and it is great to better, hear. Do you think it, you dodged it in, in a good uh, way? Uh, I won't there, say. Look, there's no, there's <laughs> no doubt about it, Sarah. Yeah. You, you always do in a situation like this. It's, it's not unique to me, but uh, it would have been a very difficult five years. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to spend uh, a lot of time with my family. Yeah. No. Uh, you'd be at it 24-7. You're all the time on the edge with mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. it's policing. Things are going to go wrong. You know, you're going to find yourself out front commenting and people yeah. are going to, you know, take one or, you know, or more, yeah. uh, I suppose, pot, routes. Pot shots you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get it. And yeah. Some people are going to support you. Um, some people are not. And I suppose in the words of Garth Brooks, that great philosopher, sometimes we thank God for unanswered prayers, don't we? I think you were around yeah, during that whole, wish for. that whole thing <laughs> that in, in uh, Crow Park debacle. I remember that, Pat. But actually, let's do good cop, bad cop here now. Um, I, I don't know which one of us is good and which one of us is bad, but answer the question, Pat. If it came up again, would you go for commissioner? No, my, my time is done now, Trina, in terms of it. Look, uh, I have a company that I'm running at the moment. What, what are you uh, doing? Uh, two of us and a partner of mine. Uh, we run uh, a risk management company. Right. And we're just run off our feet. We're very, very busy. We focus mainly on crisis management and emergency management. And um, it's just, it's a, it's a new life. Yeah. And that's it. And uh, Are you enjoying I mean, it? Uh, absolutely. And, and, but, but and by all, the way, and they, most they were never going to come knocking on the door again. Like, that's just oh, not, no, no. no, no, that's not just how it happens. Yeah, 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 look, yeah, it's a yeah. new world. Yeah. They, 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 they look for, for new blood and that's it. Like, yeah. no, but for, for, for me, it, it well, wouldn't be. Well, won't pass you anyway. I'm a big believer in that. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. At all. Yeah. Um, but what I do want to go back to, and I know that we, we moved on there, but going back to the Kin and Hutch feud, and your central involvement in it. And two people went on trial for the murder of David Byrne, as we know, Patrick Hutch and Ollie yeah. Prosegui was entered. And then we had Jerry Hutch and he was quitted. And I remember constantly talking to you during my time in Virgin Media and you would update me during bulletins and you'd, you know, you'd do clips with us in relation to, you know, what might be going on. 
when the extradition warrant was issued for Jerry Hutch and then eventually he was he was brought back from Spain. Was that all a big surprise that time? Well, I suppose... Uh, and did you have dealings with him in your time? No, your time I, I didn't there? know Jerry Hutch. I'd never dealt with him uh, face to face. Yeah. Really? Uh, in, in all your time, no, you in, never... In all my time. You see, for most of the time that I was there... He was away. Kinda, he had moved he on. Gone. Yeah, he was gone. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, was it. Like, had also, abroad, yeah. I had no reason to interact uh, with him at all. But I mean, the name obviously was synonymous yeah, yeah. with the North Inner City yeah. and everybody yeah. in there uh, knew him. So I, I never had an engagement uh, with him, never met him, never spoke to him. Mm. But, um, but his persona was alive and well in in the north inner city yeah. for sure like still you know is. and still is mm. yeah you know yeah. but as i said uh, previously the police cannot take these things personally and they can't feel good or bad about mm-hmm. the outcome that would be damaging to our democracy if the police were saying well he should have gone no no there was a lot of you, critique, of course, in, in the way that, uh, yeah. I suppose, the, fi- the file was presented maybe to the DPP and the decisions the DPP took in relation to the trial. But that's done now. You yeah, know? It is. And we have to maintain our objectivity. And I say we. I'm not a policeman anymore. The police <laughs> have to maintain their objectivity. Yeah, yeah, they have yeah. a role in this, case. this yeah. process mm-hmm. and they must do their role to the best of their ability and they cannot leave any stone unturned. You know, so they must then present it to the DPP, and the DPP will determine, you know, what's mm-hmm. going to uh, uh, or, or we, what's not. And we saw how that played out. Um, so you just said there, I'm not a policeman, but I tell you what, you are that a lot of people might not know about you. You're a doctor. You you have a PhD. So tell <laughs> uh, us, tell can us. Can we just little uh, bit can about I just that? finish about what? Just one second. <laughs> can, we have sorry, a, can I just start talking? About, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I just, I'm still determined to get to the okay. end of that one. Go on. I know that we're going. I just want to ask you, Pat, and just in relation to where that is now and the Kinnahans and everything else, and we're going to end on on the doctorate, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, can can I just ask you about, you know. What do you think is going to happen next? Is, is the net really closing in now on the Kenahans? Is, is it the end game? Are we near there now? I think we're a, a lot closer than we were. And I suppose it's, um, it's, 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 it's a little bit disappointing, folks, uh, for us as, as a country that we're still having the conversation about an individual grouping. Because mm. as I was saying earlier on, this is never personal. Because somebody's going to take their place. It doesn't matter what happens. It's just... A group. That's mm-hmm. that's the reality uh, of it. Once the Americans came on board, you know, as openly as they did, was a huge step. Now they're only one. I can remember when this was happening, having conversations uh, with, with with people in the press, interviews, open interviews, and I can remember uh, saying that something changed yeah. when this started. You know, and it wasn't the police uh, lining up. You know, to take this on, there was a, a realignment of state resources. The yeah. state saw this as an attack on the state. And you could see the way that changed. And, and that was just not a national realignment of resources. It was an international realignment, which was always going to take a little bit longer. But I can remember saying that probably in the first weeks of the feud, that this is an attack on our democracy. Yeah. You know, and this is going to bring about change and we'll see it as as, as it on and it and it mm-hmm. has the international realignment that has taken place here is quite significant, and the new contacts that have been developed between Garishikana and other police forces abroad, the uh, agreements that that are now commonplace between uh, international police uh, forces, mm-hmm. and all, but in particular the United States. When the United States came out so openly, you know, yeah. in relation to this, like you know. They're taking it on now. There was a time when this was just 
uh, an Irish uh, issue, issue yeah. and a Garda issue. It's not anymore. Now it's transnational. No. Yeah, the Guards yeah. are only one element of this now. This yeah. is a trans, as you say, mm-hmm. this is a, a transnational, yeah. it's an international, uh, uh, I suppose, approach to policing because crime is transnational. It mm-hmm. is. And also policing yeah. has to be transnational. Uh, and they uh, have expanded to be one yeah. of the biggest, uh, you know, traffickers, Cartels. trafficking cartel in the world. Which uh, is quite absolutely. Incredible. But yeah, when, you, when you do that, you create all of these connections and relationships within that world. Mm-hmm. And you must maintain a certain decorum in mm. terms of attracting unwanted mm. attention. You must get the product, you know, through the food chain, mm. you know, and out the far end of it, like, you know, mm. without creating too many waves. Yeah. Yeah. They're creating or they have created too many waves. Yeah, There's too many eyes kind of watching untouchable, now. Yeah. Well, they, 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 mm. they thought they were. Yeah. But now you have the likes of the United States. But now States they've nowhere to run. No, no other... I mean within the criminal fraternity, oh, yeah, they're yes. untouchable. Like, they're, they, nobody wants to deal with them now. Yeah. And, and, like, you've got the Taliban at the moment born in the poppy field, so there's yeah. going yeah. to be that lack of heroin, and that's going to put pressure on all of these cartels cartels yeah. around the world. Um, yeah, mm. it's... it's uh, so it's, it's, a, you, it's one to watch, isn't it? It's definitely one to watch. You think maybe in the next six months or so we might well, see I, something. I, I don't think we'll see a, a complete you know, dismantling of it in, in six months, but I do think it's inevitable. Mm. Yeah. But these things take time. Yeah. You know, and there, there are so many little raggedy edges uh, to it that in order to tie them all up, you know, you have to become forensic towards the end of it. Mm. Like, yeah. You know? mm. yeah. But what has taken place so far has been hugely productive yeah. from a state a democratic point of view we are re-establishing a little bit of stability in that but now what we cannot uh, take our eye off and that's why i'd say look you cannot focus on the kenahans or anybody else somebody else is going to take their place they're yeah. already developing yeah. in ireland which again takes me back to the philosophy of policing in ireland should be community policing because you'll see all this developing you around you you get your tentacles into it yeah. from the very beginning mothers will ask the guards to come in and intervene at an early stage to protect their children mm. if they know them and if they can trust the police mm. what we're doing at the moment now like most other police services we're waiting until they're firing shots at each other yeah. and it's too late yeah it's too late and that's why community policing was heralded mm-hmm. across the world you know as the next realm of policing mm-hmm. if you're embedded in communities as i say look you know parents in particular mothers will tell you what they need to tell you to keep their children safe yeah mm-hmm. right if those children by some stretch of the imagination pop out and end up going a, a criminal road you need to have the integration of case management mm-hmm. through the courts into the prison system mm. and remaining in the prison system, working on people to get them back out. Natalie. So there, you have to knit a fabric in the community and together. it has to be that, rehabilitation, though. Uh, it cannot be apprenticeship. And that's yeah. the issue that we have with our criminal justice um, system. Well, what you don't have at, at the end of, of it, really, is a system that will deal with drug addiction. Uh, police intervention never cured drug addiction. No. It yeah. never will. We can't police our way out. No, no, we can't. Joining the dots, communicating Correct. with each other, exactly. not being so disjointed. We're, we're just, yeah. in so many organisations, you yeah. know, we fail at that. So, so Pat, just to finish up, I think it's, it's we've spoken a lot about a lot of subjects. We probably ask you to come back again if you're, if you're <laughs> kind enough to do that. But you were saying there that you're, you're not a policeman anymore. Um, 
But what a lot of people don't know about you is you're a doctor. So you have a PhD in police reform. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And also, I'd love to know where did you get the time to do a doctorate? Like, <laughs> is that since you left now? And this is in no, community orientation, which is, yeah. Yeah. you're so passionate about yeah. this. You really are. Uh, tell uh, us. Look, it's, it's the longest PhD in history, Trina. <laughs> How long did it take? Uh, I, I, I'd be afraid to get my... Um, my university s- into trouble, trouble if I told yeah. you how long, but it broke the six year, seven year <laughs> oh. mark but because I was working of course. through yeah, it through of it course. all like you know, yeah. and as I mentioned in, in the final stages of it was dealing with a feud That's through it. it all like you know. Yeah. So you but, were doing it at that point. Oh yeah. my god. Look, I, I've been tastes. very lucky. Uh, I uh, from an educational point of view, I, I didn't go to college when I left school. I didn't have a degree when I went into Templemore. And I'll tell you what what happened actually, what put me on the study route. Uh, is I was in Bosnia with the United Nations and I'd already been to Namibia and Cambodia at working with the UN. But in Bosnia, uh, a certain American uh, officer that came in, uh, in around the deputy you know, uh, chief, decided that nobody without a university degree could hold a management position in the actual um, UN Right. police out in Bosnia and thankfully the person that was the boss at the time Peter Fitzgerald that all the former deputy commissioner went up to him and said well look all the Irish are going home Again, including myself yeah. and he said why and he said because they don't have degrees and I don't have a degree ah, doesn't it I'll apply to you he says of course it applies to me mm, if you send yeah. out that diktat oh, I'll have mm, to go yeah. you know mm. but I can remember afterwards that evening he said to me when you go home you need to get in and get mm. degree." Because what we saw today was picture of the future mm. yeah. this is what's going to happen mm. you get home you get in and you start and I went home and started I went in and got a degree then I went out and got a master's and an MBA and I just that little pee that was you know, sticks in the back of your yeah. brain like you know about community police and said I need to own it I need to understand it yeah. so so deeply mm. that and uh, there was nothing else for me to do yeah. and, and, and you're a doctor now and I'm a doctor well now. we yeah. should have we should have introduced you as doctor doctor I know I'm very sorry I'm very sorry I'd be sorry. looking around to see where is he uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> but look it's not but it's brilliant. not a name oh, that, that's, that's so that difficult all. yeah it takes, takes a while to when get when you're working full time you've got a family yeah. and you're dealing oh, with all yeah. and not just working full time dealing with all of that you're doing overtime massively as well oh Sarah there was there was Time, lots of times that I said no, uh, I, I, can't, had, I can't continue I know. with this. I was the same. I studied and worked full time. Are your family? Are your family happy to have you back? Yeah, because because in a lot of ways absolutely. they shared you with the yeah. community, kind of. Oh, didn't they? absolutely. Yeah, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah, and uh, yes, uh, but, it's 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 great. Life has changed. Yeah, you know, for me. And when you ask me, like, you know, would I would I take on the commissioner's job now? No, I look at what I, what I'm doing now, and I'm very busy. Oh, we'll but see. We'll it, see what happens. It's something that I get it, you know. I move to the beat of my own drum mm. here, yeah. and if so, if I want to pump it up, I can pump it up. If I want to say it, no, today, tomorrow, mm. I have Isn't to do that something at home. A luxury. I can do it. It is that absolute. you never had. Uh, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, never had it, uh, and we benefited Amazing. from that because you very kindly made the time on to come and see us today to the N7. So Thanks thank you oh, ever so much, not Pat. An absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank, thank, you. thank you very much. You can contact us on social media at Real Lives Untold. Our email address is reallivesuntold at gmail.com and don't forget to subscribe to hear this season's episodes every Wednesday. You can listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.